Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. So this morning, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, these are the words of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that, through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over, in the lust of their hearts, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we pray that your word would speak to us today, that your truth, which you inspired, would come alive inside of our hearts. Teach us today, Lord, who you are, so that we might become like you. Teach us, Lord, today who you are, that we might become like the very one that we worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It doesn't take a very keen Christian eye to to see the presence of sin in our world. Paul's words, ungodliness, unrighteousness, and his specific phrase, the suppression of truth, all describe the headlines of our culture today. Whether it's the legislated genocide of babies, all on the altar of a woman's right to choose, or it's the poisons of pornography and drugs, or even still, an attempted redefinition of things like marriage and gender, sin is clearly alive and well, even among those in the church, sadly. It also doesn't take a great theologian to know, uh, to understand that God is going to judge both the living and the dead. The Apostle Paul tells us plainly right here in these words, he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And yet again, in Romans chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things, ungodliness and unrighteousness. But what does require a bit more skill to see is what lies at the root of all of our sin. What lies at the root of not just the world's sin, but the sin that is found among those who profess to be Christians. We need a discernment to see what lies at the root of sin and all behavior, as a matter of fact. And I am here to tell you today that what lies at that root is worship, specifically who we worship. Another way that we could say this is that we become like what we worship. Would you say that with me this morning? We become like what we worship. Say it one more time. We become like what we worship. The truth, this truth of what we become like what we worship is communicated all throughout the pages of Scripture. 
As we read at the outset, humanity knew God, right? This is first, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Humanity knew God, but what else does Paul go on to say? Just follow along with me. They did not honor him as God or give thanks. These are clear terms for worship, aren't they? Honor and thanksgiving. These are the things that we do every Sunday morning, hopefully through song, that communicate our heart. But thanksgiving and honor are worship terms. Humanity refused to worship God. And consequently, they became, Paul says, futile in their speculations, futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. It all starts, church, whether you know this or not, it all starts with a refusal to worship the Creator God. But it will never end in just a refusal to worship God. It always moves into something else. Verse 22 and 23, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed creatures and crawling creatures. Enter idolatry. So they stop worshiping God and they begin to worship something else. But remember what happens next. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. They refused to worship God. Humanity refused to worship God and chose to worship another. And what did God do? He said, have it your way. Look at what verse 25 says. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Church, whether we know it or not, we become like what we worship. Of course, this all starts with our refusal to worship God, but as I said, it never ends there. People don't simply wake up one day and declare that they're atheists or declare that they're agnostics. As a matter of fact, the Bible gives no category whatsoever for an atheist or or an agnostic. In fact, there is no such thing, trust me. If we do not worship God, we will worship something else. Most likely, it'll be ourselves. As the great prophet Bob Dylan once said, you can serve the devil or you can serve the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. And I would change what Bob said to say you can serve the devil, you can serve the Lord, or you can exalt yourself as God, but you are going to serve somebody. When we refuse to worship the one who alone is holy, church, when we refuse to worship the one who alone is righteous, the one who alone is truth, as Scripture says, we become like all of his opposites. We become like everything else. We become, with, we become like whatever we replace him with, that which is unholy, that which is unrighteous, that which suppresses and even hates the truth. Now, the harder ones to spot when it comes to idolatry, the harder ones to spot are the ones that seem to have an appearance of godliness but lack power. Those that seem like good things. This is what happens when we create a God in our image. We read the Bible. We don't like the things that the Scripture says about God. We don't like the things that He likes. We like something else. And so what we do is we say, but I'm being good. It's pretty nice. It's okay to love everybody in this particular way. And the sad part is we've established a false God and we begin to worship that God. It is not the one true God. No one, uh, nobody else Church, nobody else is holy and righteous and set apart and true as God is. Nobody is. It's not a matter of can we get close. It is either off or on. We either worship the one true God or we don't. 
worship the one true God. In Ephesians, Paul communicates this truth in a more familial way. If you have your Bibles, again, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, he talks about being Christians and following Jesus and doing all the things that we're supposed to do as Christians. Therefore, verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. The first thing that we see in Ephesians chapter 5 is imitation, don't we? And what do we say about imitation? Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Guess what a synonym for flattery is? Praise. Worship. It's it's the sincerest form of praise imitation is. So what do we read right off the bat from this? We praise God and what flows from that worship is imitation. We become like what we worship. But the second idea that we find in Ephesians 5, I believe, is more important. Far more important than that first one. And that is the example set for us by Jesus himself. How many of you know that Hebrews 1.3 says that, uh, that Jesus is the exact representation of God? Well, now you do, right? He's the exact representation of God. Why is he the exact representation of God? Because that's the one he worships. Jesus honors his heavenly father, he worships him, and he becomes exactly like him. Ephesians 5.2, he gave himself up for us. But look at what it goes on to say. He gave himself up for us as what? As an act of worship, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Jesus himself models the truth. He worships his father, and he is the exact representation of his father. Paul teaches this, uh, Paul teaches this, Jesus models it, but Jesus himself communicates it as well. You don't have to turn there, but Luke 6, 40 says, A student is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. In ancient models, when you, had, uh, when you had leaders and learners, when you had uh, people who led and people who followed them, uh, they, they had a sense of worship towards those people. They honored them, they revered them, they did everything that they said. And so being a disciple is a lot like that, guys. We're supposed to honor God, we're supposed to worship Him, we're supposed to see that He's the only one worth following, and when we do that, we become like our teacher John the Beloved communicated this truth another way, often referred to as John the Evangelist. But John the Beloved said this, 1 John 3, 1 and 2. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. Take it, just a quick time out. Quick time out. There is no no verse in the Bible, in my opinion, that communicates the sheer love and yet the sheer mercy of God better than this verse communicates it. It's, It's quite amazing. John is talking to Christians and he says, in an almost incredulous voice, right? He says, do you see how much love the Father has bestowed on us? But bestowed on us means God poured it out. God gave it. It's not something you earned. It's not, you weren't lovable. Just turn to the person next to you and say, you weren't lovable. It's just fun to hear you say that, right? Right? See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. And then listen to the kind of the incredulous nature that we would be called children of God. 
Do you realize what the Bible tells us we are as sinners? You know what the Bible tells us as those who are unredeemed? It says we're enemies of God. It's not just people who, you know, it's not just my three-year-old who did something wrong and needed a timeout until God decided to take us back out of timeout when Jesus went to the cross. We were enemies of God. And John says, God bestowed his love on us this way. He made us kids. He made us children. This is absolutely amazing. And then he convinces his hearers this. He says, and such we are. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a child, but you're a child by the mercy of the Father. So he's talking about worshipers of God. Look what he goes on to say, or he goes on to say this. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. They don't know us. They didn't know God, right? They don't, they don't recognize godliness. They didn't see godliness in Jesus. He was godly, but they didn't recognize it as such, okay? Verse 2, beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know, but we know that when he does appear, we will be like him. Now, just a quick thing here. We're, we're never going to be exactly like God. I hope you understand this. In heaven, for all eternity, he remains God. We don't just get up there and kind of join the seats with him like, hey, we'll rule with you, Lord. Right? No, no, no. He's always God. There's always a way in which he is other than us. But we will be like him because the very one we worship is the one we become like. And so John says, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. When we behold God in all of his glory, we will be transformed that fast. We become like what we worship. There is, of course, a future glory to this, but we, are, we ought to look like him or resemble our heavenly father even now. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, as well as John's uh, epistle to his, his hearers, they go beyond this, that we, uh, we are like the one we worship. They go beyond this by talking about uh, bad behaviors that should not be a part of, of, of our behavior of our beings, right? So they say things like this. Paul in Ephesians says, immorality, impurity, greed, and many other things should not even be named among us. He's talking to Christians, he's talking to the saints, and he's saying this shouldn't even be around. Why? Because it's not like the one we worship. And we are to become like the one we worship. We become like him. John says that we're to purify ourselves as God is pure. Why? Because we're to become like the one we worship. The truth about our sin in this life, and the truth about all our behavior for that matter, is that it displays who we worship. It displays who we worship. If we are truly worshiping our Heavenly Father, then we will look exactly like Him. We will be the representation of our Heavenly Father. How so? We will look like Jesus. If we are truly worshiping God, we are going to look like Jesus. 1 John 3.10 By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. 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 How many of you would say, man, it's just obvious to see the Christians in our world? No. And the reason why it's not so obvious today is because we've confused what it means to be a Christian. We've said, you can worship God, but you don't have to look a thing like him. Uh-oh. Now it's not so obvious, is it? By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Also, there's only two options. 
Uh-oh. There's only two options. You get to be the ch- child of God or the child of the devil. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. These are the words of God. This isn't Nathan's opinion. These are the words of God. Those who, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. These are those the people who don't love their brother and are not like God, they're not living in righteousness. These are those who the, uh, whom the Bible calls sons of the devil or sons of the evil one. Well, there's a positive message for Sunday. Anyway, if our lives display something that is not godly, church, it reveals a serious problem. It reveals who or what we're truly worshiping. Therefore, observing our actions matters greatly. How many of you know the Bible says you will know them by their fruits? You, it doesn't say you will know them because they are fruits. That's a different thing altogether, right? But you, sometimes we act that way, right? But you will know them by their fruit. This is another piece that's common in, in today's world today, that you're not supposed to judge. It's total nonsense. You need to read your Bible and read it in context. We are to judge. We can tell whether or not they are, people are sons of God or children of the devil. We can tell people by their fruit, and you do so through judgment. What you cannot do is condemn people, because God never gave you a gavel, right? God never gave you the hammer. You're not allowed to say, you go to hell. You know why? Because on Tuesday, we'd send everybody to hell, and on Wednesday, we would regret it. We'd know that we did something wrong. You are absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, called to judge these matters, So what we see in other people's lives matters greatly. Those observations matter greatly. And they often reveal to us who, in fact, we and other people are worshiping. You remember the story of Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve in the garden. Do you know what their real problem was? Listen, if your theology, if your faith stopped at all of humanity is suffering all the pains and travail of of sin and its effects and death, all because some guy ate an apple in the garden, you're holding on to Sunday school a little too tightly, okay? You've missed the point. That's not actually what we were trying, what God was trying to communicate, what we were trying to learn. What Paul says their problem was, or what their problem was, was exactly what Paul said their problem was. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. God said, don't eat of this fruit, or you will surely die. And the devil said, did God really say? And what did they do? Sure, we'll go with a snake. That's what we'll do. He sounds like a truth teller. Yeah, we'll go with that. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They began to worship the creature rather than the creator. Devil worship, people worship, it all began in the garden. We worship what the devil says as higher or of greater authority. We worship what Eve tells us as greater authority. We worship what we think is right as greater authority. And all of this is idolatry. So what happens because they exchange the truth for a lie? The fall of man, it's not about eating a fruit. It's about worshiping another. So let's go back to Romans 1. I want to think through what Paul says in the hot-button issues of our day. I want to think through what Paul says as he continues in from verse 26 to the end of the chapter. I want you to think about what he says, and I want us to identify as people why this reveals we're worshiping another god. Why these sins are actually a problem. 
I want you to see it. Romans chapter 1, verse 26. For this reason. For what reason? Because they exchanged the, the truth of God for a lie. Because they worshiped the creature rather than the creator. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Because we chose to worship another, God said, have it your way. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function of that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Of course, homosexuality is a hot-button issue. And there's many other issues. And Paul goes on, which we're going to see in just a second, he goes on to deal with all unrighteousness. So don't, don't for a second think I'm just simply hobby-horsing on one kind of thing. But the reality is, our behavior shows who we're worshiping. God said they exchange that which is natural for that which is unnatural. But do you realize what the problem is deeply in this? We have said to God, we've said to God that your declaration that marriage should be between a man and a woman, that it's a heterosexual union for a lifetime, that it is made a commitment made in a public setting so that other people can hold you accountable, and it's consummated on the marriage bed, that idea that you have said is right, we say no. And what God do we worship? We, got, we worship the God of greater pleasure. We worship the God of, of the things that we want because... We want to do what we want to do. We want to live the way we want to live. You see, the issue isn't just homosexuality. The issue is with who you're worshiping. You've said, God says this is the way it is, and you've said, no, I don't like it. I have four girls under six. I hear it all day, every day. No, I don't, no, I don't want to do this. Tough, tough. You know what I tell them in the house? I'm king around here. <laughs> Nobody listens to me, but, but I tell them that as much as I possibly can, right? But in the end, even where I fall short, God is king. He is righteous. He is good. He is faithful. You see, God is not just nitpicking about different things that we do inside of our life. There's a real problem behind all of these things. And the real problem is who, in fact, we are worshiping. So God calls it out. We want to worship a God in our own image. We want to worship a God that believes in our own sensibilities. We effectively have presented an idol before God. Paul goes on in verse 29. Just so you know, it's not just about homosexuality. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. And I remind my daughters of this every day. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. These are the things that reveal. When you look at all of that, there's a, there's, a, there's a root cause behind it. You are worshiping another God. You are worshiping somebody else. And so he goes on in verse 32. And although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, doesn't take a rocket scientist to see the wrath of God, that not only do they do them, Christians, here's your, here's your fair warning. 
Not only do they do them, not only do some Christians profess to be Christians while worshiping another god, because that's what it actually is, not only do they do this, they accept the sin, and then they tell other people that it's okay. Be careful. Be careful. Because Paul is talking about you in this moment. They not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. We've entered into some really troublesome levels of idolatry in the church today. We violated the first three of the Ten Commandments in what I've just shared with you today. These commandments, mind you, are not oppressive commands of a God who hates you. They are loving instruction of a God who knows that you become like what you worship. And if you worship these other things, you will degrade into them. You will become like them. Deuteronomy 5, 7 through 11. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because you become like them. You shouldn't have any other gods. You know how confident God is in this statement? You know how humble he is in this statement? He knows he's the only righteous, only good, only true, only pure God. He's not saying something like, I just want you to worship me because I'm somehow uh, envious of that person. God does say my name is jealous. God does say that he is a jealous God. But it is not because he is, uh, it's not because he's just making something up about himself. What he says about him is true. And what he says about all other gods is true. They are futile. They are foolish. They are nothing. When you do your studies on Hebrew language or Greek language and you start delving into the word idolatry, there are several words that make up this word. And one of those words means nothing. Do you know what you worship when you worship an idol? A nothing. You know what you become when you practice idolatry? Nothing. This is what scripture is talking about. This is what it's warning us about. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the most loving statement ever. God is saying, you'll become like them, and I don't want you to become like them. Command number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water underneath the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. Everything you worship, you serve. Everything you worship and serve, you become like. Amen? This is the problem. Look at what Psalm 115 says about idolatry. This is the nuclear weapon when it comes to this idea. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. And then look at this. Fascinating. Those who make them will become like them. Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. Finally, we have the third command. So if you want to be nothing, if you want to be uh, deaf, dumb, blind, poor, if you want to be naked, then worship your idols. But the gospel beckons you to come by robes of white, doesn't it? The, the gospel comes, it calls you to come and live in life. The gospel beckons us to worship the one true creator, God. That's what we're called to. So finally, the third commandment, and this one hits home. 
It's prophetically describing the issues of our culture today. Verse 11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. You know the question I always get? The question that's asked among uh, pastors across the church today. Can I be a Christian and still be this? Whatever sin you want to fill in the blank with, I don't really care. Okay? Because I'm not going to harp on just one. It's all. Can I be a Christian and still be this? The answer is no. But do you know why? Because you're taking the name of God in vain. You become like what you worship. So here's the problem. You claim Jesus as Lord and Savior, as king over your life. And then you act like another God. Which means you act like the one you really worship. Do you see the problem? This is taking the name of God in vain in its truest biblical idea. Where you claim Jesus, you claim God as king over you, but you live other than him. Please understand, church, this is why God hates idolatry so much. This is why three commands in the beginning of the Ten Commandments are centered around you worshiping other things. Because God doesn't want you to become like anything else. He wants you to become like him. He is good. He is holy. He is faithful. He is righteous. So here's how we wrap this up. This is why Paul states as his agenda in Romans 1, the beginning of this great series throughout the book of Romans, this is why Paul states as his agenda to preach the gospel to those in Rome. With his opening salvo, with his opening words being, you become like you worship. Okay, The reason he declares the gospel to those in Rome is because he wants people to become like the one they worship. They become like the one they worship. This is why the Great Commission is for all of us today. What are we calling people to when we preach the gospel? What are we calling people to when we ask them to obey the commands of God? When we ask them to be followers of Jesus? We're calling them to worship. We're calling them to worship, church. If you think worship is just singing songs on a stage, you're a product of the 21st century church. You don't, you don't fully understand it. You've got to come into this more robust, this more detailed understanding. This is why in the modern church, uh, oftentimes teaching and worship get set at odds to one another. Teaching and worship become enemies of one another. This team thinks they do the best part of the service. That team thinks they do the best part of the service. You know what I'm talking about? There's, trust me, I've been in ministry far too long. People fight and bicker and complain about all these other things. But here's the deal. We are, we are the same instrument together right? Teaching simply communicates the glory of God. Teaching simply communicates who he is so that when you sing, you think the right God. You honor him. But see, worship is far more than just songs, as I've shared with you many times in the past. Worship goes way beyond this. It becomes who you worship with your very life. It becomes what Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Listen to these words. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Why? Because you become like what you worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good 
and acceptable and perfect. There's no way I can stress this bigger than what I've stressed it with now. We become, church, exactly like what we worship. What you and I need to do as just faithful followers of Jesus, as as servants of the King of Kings, what we need to do as Christians is we need to look at our lives. We need to look at the impurities of our life. We need to look at the waywardness of our life. We need to look at the sin which we're defending and holding on to and trying to hide from the God who sees all. We need to look at our sin and we just simply need to ask a humble question with the gospel in mind. How does this sin show who I'm worshiping? Or how is this sin anything like the God I claim to worship? When I'm living in unrighteousness, when I'm living in, in, um, in, in wayward lifestyles, when I'm doing the things that God has expressly told me that I should not do, the truth is, somewhere I began to believe a lie over the truth. All of us. All of us. Sad part about lies and believing lies is that sometimes we believe them for so long, we fight to the death over them, don't we? We defend our lies, we defend our, our positions all you know, to the hilt because we don't want anybody to mess with us. We don't want anybody to mess with us. But listen, I'm not saying these things to mess with you so that you can feel condemnation. I want you to understand the conviction of the Spirit of God so that you can also hear the voice of God. Because here's what Abba is saying. Here's what Father is saying. He's saying, come worship me. Come worship me. I I don't want you to worship those other gods because I don't want you to look like that. You don't want you to look like that whether you know it or not. I I don't want you to look like that. I don't want you to worship them. So today, as we prepare for communion and our communion teams come up, I want you to think about this. I want you to use this time as an opportunity to say, as you come up, you take the the bread that was broken uh, for you, and you take and dip it in the juice, which is his blood shed for you. As you do this, I want you to think about the things in your life that are showing you worship somebody else. And I want you to lay them at his feet. I want you to say, God, no more, no more. I've got this baggage in my life. I've got this misconstrued view of who you are. And I want you to lay it down before him. And I want you to begin again today during communion. I want you to begin again to worship the creator God. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.